Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition, the first for June for the Crowcast Weekend Wrap. Uh, another roller coaster ride for us this week, Crows fans. Unfortunately, not getting the job done in the Northern Territory after a bright start. Here to talk all about it as usual is Macca. How are you going, mate? Oh, I've had a busy weekend, mate, uh, socially, and uh, very disappointed with the game. Very disappointed. Yeah, it was a bit disappointing. It was a good opportunity for us just to uh, seal a bit of a march um, over the pack going for 7th and 8th spots. Um, but we couldn't get the job done, and that's a bit of a pity. Um, as always, thanks to everyone who's joining us on YouTube and on Discord, and also, as always, uh, Macker, if uh, anyone on Discord wants to have a chat, have their opinions on air then please raise your hand and we'd be happy to have you on mate uh a pretty rough trip as it turns out not only did we blow a 35 point lead but we also uh had tom Dido blowing out his other knee yeah very interesting that because uh you know he's got well it's, it's very heavily rumored that he might be looking around elsewhere at the end of the year and uh, it's sort of if he it depends what he's done. If it's a if it's a, a lateral, it's an ACL. Probably, it's an ACL. Oh, oh shit! Well, an ACL that means that's twelve months out. That might, yep. might really. Well, it might not only ruin his plans, but it will. I think we will double down trying to get Redmond. Well, possibly, but everything that I've heard says that Redmond isn't interested in coming home so uh, I could be wrong um, and it's only what I've heard but uh, I've, he's uh, for all the media speculation I my what I've heard is that it's not a thing I think with enough dollars it could be and uh, and seriously and I think that we we put Duda out now um, I mean it does give Warrell a good opportunity there's no doubt about that but um, I would like to see Hinge up on the wing rather than in the back line, and that means that we still needed somebody down back. And um, I think that that was part of the reason that we uh, went adrift once Drew Day went out. If, if for example, uh, we had we had to make we brought two players back and they had to come in. There's no doubt about that. So two players had to go out. But the, the player I would have put out was Shoal and put Hinge onto the wing, which would have given us, I think, more strength. And as it turned out, in the end, with an injury, more versatility. Well, did Brodie Smith have to come back in? Well, I think his form had been uh, pretty good the week before, so it, I, probably he did. Um, I know that you're not a great Smith fan, but I think his form has been reasonably good so far, and uh, I think... Even you praised him probably the week that before for the for him actually raising his eyes and looking for somebody to pass to for a change. Yeah, I, I don't know. I um, it didn't add much as far as I'm concerned. I, I it was as if we forgot that they had Casbolt because we picked two tools um, for 
Lukosius and um, King. Um, you know, uh, we didn't really... Even uh, Tom Diday was uh, far too short for Lukosius. Um, you know, I don't think we had a very good match-up for Lukosius at all. And uh, that's who I would have put Worrell on. I I just don't think we were balanced up forward, to be honest with you. You mean down back? Uh, down back, yeah. 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 Um, well, they also had, to, had another tool. What's the name of that bloke they used to... Uh, oh, great big hunk of a bloke that never used to do much. Um, Casbolt. Casbolt, yeah. Yeah, that's who well, I said. So well, they, they actually had three tools down there. They had King, Casbolt, and... Said. That's what I just said. Sorry, I didn't hear you say three. Yeah. I said it's, for, it's as if we forgot they had Casbolt. Oh, my apologies. Okay. Yeah, so I don't I don't think we selected correctly. I think I would have left Josh Worrell in. Um, I, you know, Mitch Hinge looked... He didn't look as if he'd actually fully recovered, Um to be perfectly frank with you, he had a nothing sort of a game. And, uh, you know, I know there's the mandatory 12 days or whatever it is. Um, but to me, he didn't he didn't seem quite right, to be honest. He might be right, but I thought we had a lot of them. Uh, as the heat took uh, its toll on them, it looked like they weren't quite right. I mean, we went from... Um, it was interesting because, you know, our first quarter was very good and the first half of the second quarter was very good. And at that stage, I noticed in the, at the first quarter that our uh, players' arms and their, their jerseys were still reasonably dry. And not, they weren't absolutely slopping wet. But halfway through the second quarter, I noticed that they was, their arms were, were, looked like they'd been you know, dumped into a bathtub and their, and their jerseys started to get wet. And I think that not just him, I just think a lot of our players just didn't, didn't handle those conditions thing. Like, I mean, they, they, make, they started they started well, but I don't think they, they maintained it. Did we make a mistake by not going up there and spending a week up there, Mac, or a few days? Um, oh, a massive mistake, Fee. Massive mistake. Why would you give your opposition, uh, who had already been up there for about four yeah. days before that, why would you give them that 11-day uh, start? Yeah. Absolutely stupid. I, it seems to me that we didn't learn from our experience in GW uh, against GWS and I know it was far hotter uh, but it was certainly oppressive humidity in Darwin uh, of an evening um, and it was apparently quite a mild night but the humidity did get up as you say sort of as the game went on and it was quite noticeable and as the commentators pointed out uh, Gold Coast reverted to wet weather football uh, that hustle and bustle style of football much sooner than we did and you know that that is a a general understanding of the conditions, and it, and I don't think we understood the conditions, um, and we continued to try and play dry weather football for far too long uh, before we cottoned on to the fact that that wasn't going to work, and uh, I think that was integral to Gold Coast getting on top, you know, towards the back end of the second quarter and all the way through the third, to be honest. Yeah. I- and, you know, I think it just became more slippery and slippery as the game went on. And, you know, a very good example was that Peddler was going to have a kick at one stage and, you know, you, you, you sort of balance yourself with one arm and you guide the ball down with the other. Just, and the ball's just shot out of his hand sideways because it was so wet. Um, and what GWS, not GWS, what Gold Coast did 
is they played, they never tried to go zigzagging down the ground. They just always kicked directly down the ground. In other words, the shortest way to home is straight. And they were quite happy to kick it to a contest all the time if necessary. Whereas we tried to be cute and tried to play the game that we normally play. And, you know, the conditions just weren't, con- uh, they just weren't convenient for that. They just didn't allow for it. Well, it was interesting because it seemed that uh, in the first half in particular, we, we played off the ball, we played behind the ball, and we were happy to allow the fumbly sort of, you know, in tight kind of stuff and then sort of uh, mop up and, and get it out the back of the contest and, and progress forward that way. Um, but as Gold Coast adapted to the way they were playing and as Matty Rowell in particular um, started to become a bit of a force um, and as uh, Wits got on top uh, and a few others, uh, they were just pushing through that sort of, I guess, you know, that defensive side and, and getting through us and then and then it was opening up for them. Yeah, and, you know, I thought Rob uh, O'Brien, he, he absolutely got, he, he got thrashed. That's only one word for it. He got thrashed by Wits, which is a very, very tall... And I've pointed out many times that O'Brien, can, he can bullock his way against like the Nankervis type of player, but once he's up against that very tall type of player with long arms, he's just not in business at all. And well, he, he, he was totally, totally outright. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we'll go through individuals later, as we always do, but Riley O'Brien, out of 23 or 25 taps, three to advantage, Macca. Well, he's improved. <laughs> I mean, Jared Witts, Jared Witts out of, let me have a look here. I just had it up before. Um, he notes to advantage. Let's have a look. Do, do, do. Um, yeah, so Jared Witts had, um, where are you, Jared? He had 48 hit outs to 28. Is hitouts to advantage fourteen from forty eight, so twenty nine percent hit out to advantage. Riley O'Brien three from twenty eight, which is a ten uh, percent hit out to advantage. You may as well not have a ruckman winning the tap. Exactly. I think you know, I think you'd be better off have another midfield and just wait till the ball comes down. Well, this is it, and it, look, I think it's come, it's gone beyond a uh, idiosyncrasy now. I think it's an issue. Um, and I think it's a combination, as we've said all along, of O'Brien's inability to adapt his or direct his taps to areas other than where he's comfortable. But I think it's also a situation where um, we're just not setting up right. It, we, it's like we're setting up for the ruckman we want rather than the ruckman that we've got, Macca. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then we've, look, we should always be setting up for a losing ruck. There's no doubt about that. Which be and you be, and which is which is. Uh, if you study the tapes, you'd find that which has got his favourite spots to hit it to, and, and him. But he's unlike Rob. It's got probably about four or five of them. So, you, uh, but, you, but what you try and do is you try and man up in the positions where he most mostly hits it to, and at least you can make a contest. But it's, you know, Rao Rao was just ploughing through as if nobody was there, and Anderson he skirts very well, and he he. If, if Rao gets it or somebody else gets it, uh, because that young lad that they've got, he's very, very good too. Um, Humphrey. Uh, number, Humphrey, yeah, nine, number 19. 
uh, you know, for a first year player, he's outstanding. Just uh, he, he really is a, he's a young bull. He's going to be a very, very good player. And yeah, and they would shoot the ball out to Anderson, and Anderson that's he, that's how he loves it like that. And um, we got we got slaughtered in the middle. We got slaughtered around the packs. We lost the clearances badly. Yeah, uh, particularly in the middle. Uh, the amount of times um, there was no one hitting Riley's hit zone uh, at the fall of the ball uh, in centre bounce contests, contests uh, except for a red Guernsey, was ridiculous during that stretch. And I, something's got to change around there. One thing that I have noticed, Macker, is that just as the season has progressed and we've become, you know, in contention for a top eight spot, uh, we are less inclined to run our younger players through centre bounce attendance as we are more and more seeing Laird, Dawson, Sloan, Keys through that. Um, you know, we get we get um, cameos from some of the others, um, but it seems to me that as we've the closer we've come to being in contention, uh, the more we've actually. Um, gone back to the well in terms of our old players. Luke Pedler, for example, had four centre clearances. I think he had six or seven centre bounce attendances. You know, I mean, he's an absolute beast. Um, he had more centre clearances than any of the rest of us. Sloan had two. Laird had two. Keys had two. Um, Luke Pedler is an absolute bull, and I know that he hasn't got an engine yet, but we've got to work out a way to get him at more CBAs, even if he does the old, you know, Malcolm Blight trick of taking the centre bounces and then drifting forward, and we have someone else coming up off the half-forward flank to actually run the midfield, um, we need to get him involved more because he's a clearance king. I was actually going to make that very point that you did, that um, I know he hasn't got an engine to run all over the ground, but, um, yeah, I think he should be at every CBA, and um, as you say then drift back into the forward line after that. And, uh, I mean, his percentage, uh, I think you said he attended six and, and cleared four. I think that's what you said. Seven um, for four. Seven, seven attendances for four. for four clearances when you've got Rowland Anderson in there. Like, that's, that's for a kid, that's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I, yeah, it's, I think it's poor coaching, actually, not to, to really go along the lines that you just suggested because, uh, as you said, uh, as we've been going along, it is it's, it is gravitating towards um, the Laird, Dawson, Keyes, Sloan situation, and uh, the younger blokes are getting less and less a look in there. Yeah, and of course, um, uh, you know, having Keyes on Rao when Rao touched up Laird, particularly from about a third of the way through the second quarter. Um, Benny Keyes is also becoming a, a big problem because his skills under normal circumstances are questionable, but in, in those conditions they were horrific. And for all the hustle and bustle, um, we get no value out of Ben Keyes. And it's, again, a situation where does he become just nothing more than a, than a shutdown player, Macca? Because offensively... Um, he's becoming a liability. I think that's a little bit harsh, a little bit harsh uh, to say it's a liability that because um, he, he, and I don't quite understand the coaching here uh, because he was uh, on Rao for the first half and he kept Rao very quiet. 
but they moved him off of Rao in the second half, which I don't understand for one moment. No, they, no, no, they didn't. They didn't? I thought that they did. No, no. Well, he, first, well, he had a very good first half on him. Um, I thought the commentator said that, that he'd been moved... Um, off of Rao, I think there now, was a well, period in the third. There was a period in the third quarter, I think, where he came off him, and that's where um, that's where uh, Rao got a few. But Keys was on him for most of most of the second half. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I thought that the one thing I'll say about Keys, um, he's not the tidiest player and he's not the neatest, but he, but he. One thing I do like about him, he does give a hundred percent plan, and he, and he will run all day. And yeah, but Nebby Henrik is a hundred percent. There's a lot of players that give a hundred percent that are trash macker. No, I understand what you're saying, but at this stage, and I think in time he'll he'll be forced out of the side when some of the younger blokes develop and become stronger and and take that place. But at the moment, I don't think there's anybody uh, that can be called a tagger that could take his place. Well, no, but that's what I mean. That's you know we've got to start thinking about how we use him. Um, but as a mainstay centre bounce attendee, it's again with Laird and uh, Sloan and him and Dawes running most of the CBAs. It's not a dynamic midfield. They they hang all over Dawson because he knows that he's our outlet, and uh, you just. You don't see enough of Rankin. You don't see enough of Rochelle. You don't see enough of um, uh, Luke Pedley. You don't see enough of Jake Saligo when he's there. You know, we've got options. And, you know, we, we just don't seem to be versatile enough through the midfield. And when a team like uh, Gold Coast with a couple of... And Rao's in a real purple patch of form. Um, you know, we just... We don't seem to be able to go with them because... Let's not forget that kind of uh, that kind of midfield setup that we had against Gold Coast. That's the setup that got us into this mess in the first place. Yeah, I do understand what you're saying, mate. But at the moment, I just don't think. Well, we 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 haven't. We're far from the complete side at the moment, and there's we've got two or three players in in the side that. Really wouldn't be in there if we had, if we had a choice. And so, so, so then I would question throwing big bucks at Redmond when that's not a primary need. Well, if two days are going to be out all next year, it could be a primary need. We've got thirty-seven halfback flankers, Mac. We do not need Redmond. We need um, midfielders. We need a midfielder. Oh, look, I don't argue with that, but, but where are you going to get the midfielder from? Well, somewhere. Like, we need to go hard at a midfielder. I mean, no one picked us for picking up Geordie Dawson until we did. We've got to go for a midfielder. We've got plenty of blokes that can play off half-back. We have got yeah. to go for a big, strong, dynamic midfielder. Have to, have to. We just have to. And until we do... We do not, for all for all the, um, you know, we've got Sandberry in the wings. We're still hopeful about Schoenberg coming back into it. You know, we've got Saligo, we've got Pedler, we've got these these young lads. They're all they're all small, right? 
you know, of of those, you know, Sam Berry's a hustle and bustle. He's more more or less a Royal Ed replacement. You know, Luke Pedler is dynamic and can hit contests hard and all the rest of it, but doesn't really have an engine. And who knows, may not ever develop an engine, maybe just doesn't genetically have the capacity to develop an engine for an AFL midfielder. Um, you know, Zach Taylor's small. Uh, Will Dowling's untried. You know, there's there's a lot of ifs and buts about our midfield. And to me, we get mon- when we get monstered by teams, it all happens in the midfield. Yeah, and, and Baxter, I'm, Baxter, I'm not interested in developing players into midfielders. I want to get a midfielder. We cannot speculate on any sort of trading. It can't be. Oh, he might be good in the midfield. We have to get a midfielder. There's not. There's not one ounce of argument. About that, um, Gold Coast had the luxury that year of getting you know had numbers pick one and two, and they got Anderson and Rowell in the one one draft, and, and that's I mean not that we've got we're going to ever have that situation, but that's what we really need that type of player in our midfield. That where you've got one that's a uh, a real bull, and if, and that that actually um, could that uh, well, we could have that potentially that way in peddler if he could get an engine but we really need that other dynamic one that um which is like the a the really a grade type of midfielder that will always be a clearance king yeah so you know i mean people in the chat who is it who is it well i don't know who it is but we as i said we didn't know we were going after jordan dawson until we did you know that there are it's not as if play, uh, teams don't trade players. It's not as if um, players don't uh, move mid-contract. Like these things happen, and I would suggest that uh, Reed and the uh, match uh, committee, uh, the list management committee, I should say, they, if that's not their primary focus, then they're they're looking in the wrong directions. Yeah, I mean, somebody makes a suggestion of a parish from Essendon, and he, because he is a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, but I don't really think he's the type of midfielder we need, though, Pete. Um, I mean, he'd be nice to have as the extra midfielder, the one that they shoot it out to, but we really need somebody that can really get it and get it to him. Oh, I don't know about that, Mac. I think we've got getters. Sam Berry is a getter. Rory Laird is a getter. We've got plenty of grunt players. We do need silk. We need we need another outlet to complement Geordie Dawson because at the moment we're one trick pony. Hmm. Oh, and I thought Lady was down on form too. Yeah, well, he only played, and we're eating into our round the ground, so we'll, we'll continue this in a second. But I did notice that Lady only played seventy four percent time on ground, so. I know he got uh, pulled off the ground at one stage and we could see that Nix was having a fair conversation with him. Mm, um, he was, you know, so um, I, I'm, I'm not sure. But he got pants He got pants in the midfield. He got beaten yep. to just about every contest. Well, one thing for sure, Nix wasn't praising him, not the way that the expression on Nix's face. Well, I think Nix was unhappy with the endeavour of a lot of our players, to be honest with you. Hmm. Anyway, look, uh, as I mentioned in the chat in Discord and we've got another healthy audience as usual, so thanks again for all your 
support for the live stream uh, if you want to have your say then please put your hand up during the course of the stream and we will definitely get you on also thanks to everyone who's joined us on youtube at the moment we've got a nice healthy building audience here on youtube so to good day to everyone who's watching and supporting on youtube if you are listening on demand um either via youtube or itunes or any other podcast platform that you might use um, and you've got the opportunity to subscribe or give us a like or give us a review then please do so it does help uh, our visibility on all those platforms all right mac and also once again i'm sporting the uh, crowcast hoodie keeping me very warm macca uh, i noticed you've got your old standby um so uh one or two of you have bought a hoodie off the the merch store which is great uh they're really good for winter so uh, get around it all right let's have a look around the grounds mac because uh that's what we do uh, let me have a look all right uh so it was a bit of a mixed bag this round uh and on the friday night we had a pretty boring old game i thought uh, and Melbourne predictably getting up by 17, uh, 61 to 44. I thought, I'm glad you said it, you thought it was boring. I, I, my comment is it's a very pretty ordinary game to watch, actually. And we, what we were watching was an out-of-form Melbourne playing a, uh, a not-good-enough Carlton. And, um, yep. I mean, it was 21 shots to 14, and the, and the margin should have been much greater. And, and Melbourne didn't have Oliver playing, but still Petrarca and Viney still won the midfield. Uh they have, they have got a nice young player forward in Van Roy, and I reckon he's going to be a beauty long-term being. Um, yes, absolutely. Yeah, but, you know, not much else to say about the game. Boring as shit and Melbourne too good. And, oh, yeah, well, I must say this about the coach for Carlton. And that's five losses on the trot, and, and their chances of playing in the eight are shot now. And uh, it'll be interesting whether they tolerate that or whether they give him another season. What do you think? I think they have to, Macca, because I think at some stage they've got to stick with a coach. It hasn't been their history. <laughs> no, it certainly hasn't, and I think, you know, to their detriment. And you look at the successful coaches of, of recent years, uh, not many of them have been successful straight off the bat or in their first couple of seasons. You know, Hardwick, um, Chris Scott obviously was because he got gifted a, a bloody list but um al clarkson you know uh, you know luke beverage there's there's not a lot of coaches that hit the ground running in the afl and i think at some stage at some stage carlton just need to stick with the coach maybe not this one though i i, 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 I who else then who else well, there is a bloke that left richmond there's, there's not a chance in hell. Look, I don't, I don't know who, but I, but put it this way, I, I think that uh, Boss was a pretty good assistant coach, and I think that's what he does. I don't think he's a good coach. But I, on what do you base that though? I mean, let's not get bogged down at this. But I, I like people are I'm too quick to criticise coaches. Yeah, but that's the I'm, players. Yeah, but we're talking about players that are originally good players, and they're not really performing. Well, that surely as a player, you're you're in charge of your own performance, aren't you? Well, put it this way. In the business world, if a company goes shit out, it's the bloke at the top that gets it, even if it's the people letting below letting him down. And 
to some degree, that's how it works in footy too. It may, you know, Vossi might survive this season, but if they had another season like that, he would definitely be gone. Yeah, this isn't business though. This is a perform. This is not. You're not answering to shareholders. You're not making a token uh, decision. What you're actually doing is trying to get the best performance out of a group of players and. You know, the onus is on the players. The players are the ones that take the field. And to me, they've got too many blokes that pick and choose when they want to go, to be honest with you. Well, that's very much how they play. There's no doubt about that. I had that comment, that very so, comment. I would suggest that it's more their list than the coach, to be honest with you. I think they've got too many holes in that list and they've got too many front uh, downhill skiers, to be honest. Well, you know, you got a, you got. I think Kerno's a, a potential champion, and he only got one goal. Uh, Cripps, I thought, was bloody useless. I mean, these are big names. He was a Brownlow medalist, and I, and you know, he, I thought he was useless. Yeah, but Anyhow, that, I no, mean, it, it's easy to lock down those players. Anyway, um, Port Adelaide having a comfortable in the end win against a gallant Hawthorne. Uh, Hawthorne, not many teams will kick 96 points and lose, uh, Mac, uh, particularly by 54, 55 points, but uh, that's what happened to Hawthorne. Well, you know, Port blitzkrieg Hawks in the first half, uh, or first quarter even, 9-3 to 2-3 in the first quarter, and at half-time yeah. they were 82 points up. But, uh, the Port, you know, Port always seemed to get the situation where the, where uh, players that are vital for a team are out. No Sicily. Sicily has 40 clearances the, the week before. He's not there. And uh, uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, Shawmus Mitchell, um, who's been one of their young, young up-and-coming really good players. He was out too. He felt ill on the morning of the match. So, yeah, a very much uh, undermanned uh, Hawthorne. But I thought they showed courage at least. They fought back. Uh, halfway through the third quarter onwards, when at that stage I think there was some ninety-something points down at that stage. So they, yeah. look, at least they showed they showed they have a bit, a little bit about them. But you know, they're a long way off of it. Then from yeah. Port's point of view, uh, Finlayson very good, um, Marshall was very good. They got five goals each, and of course the the on-ballers, the Butters and Roses, they were both outstanding. So, yeah, Port. Port have got a very even squad at the moment. You've got to take your hat off to Jeremy Finlayson. I mean, given what's going on in his personal life, and of course there was some uh, a little bit of good news, although it was overplayed by the media somewhat, um, uh, for his wife uh, over the last week or two, but for him to have to endure that and also be seen as a bit of a, uh, certainly an inconsistent player previously, um, he's putting together a, a fantastic year for Port Adelaide. Beautiful summary, Dean, about a good guy. Well done. Um, and then we had um, a weird old match because uh, the Eagles actually for a while there looked like the Eagles of hold. Uh, Tim Kelly just getting up and about and uh, Elliot Yeo forgetting that he's 93 years old. And uh, they... Uh, they they put a few uh, scares into the Collingwood camp, but in the end, it was pretty easy. Ten goals to Collingwood, one hundred and twenty to fifty seven. Yeah, look, it, was, it had phases in the game. Uh, you know, Collingwood got men out to a four goal lead at quarter time, and then uh, West Coast matched them and uh, scored equally for second and third quarters. But then the last quarter, then Collingwood went flying away again and made what looked like a a contest at three quarter time into a a ten goal thrashing. So. Um, the end result was there. Um, 
Dugowie, very uh, very nasty incident, I thought, Fiend. I think uh, that's a three to four match suspension, in my opinion. Yeah, you would think at least. Well, I mean, it goes to the MRO, it's three matches. So uh, uh, I dare say we, uh, Collingwood won't see him until uh, I think it turns out to be their second game after the bye, uh, which includes us. So that'll be a little bit weakened Collingwood, uh, although they got they got a bit of depth, so it shouldn't weaken them too much. It made me laugh a bit, you know, Jordan Goey's Brownlow chances have been hit. It's like, it was never a chance for the Brownlow. I'm with you. <laughs> uh, he was no chance for it. Uh, just, yeah, you did mention West Coast. That there was a revival in Duggan, Kelly, Sheed, Witherden. They all had good gains, but, yeah, they, they, they're in a world of pain. Yeah, it was good to see a little bit of a fight from them and uh, I don't think it'll be uh, like, you know, they've had comfortable losses, uh, you know, this season. Uh, but we wouldn't want to come back, especially after what we saw was our recovery for lack thereof after the GWS game. We wouldn't want to come back half rat power against West Coast. No, I totally agree. Uh, then we had uh, an up and down game, which ended up in Geelong's favour, ninety-seven to seventy-five, twenty-two points to the Cats in the end. Yeah, uh, didn't really see this one um, because of what the time it was on at, because it was at the same time as our game. Um, but Geelong, uh, the Dogs actually had twenty-five scoring, top to twenty-two, and still lost by that twenty-two points and. Uh, just while you go run through their best players, you can see that their midfielder is very, very dominant. They, mm. they really did do very, very well. But also that accentuates that they're weak at either end of the ground, in my opinion. that uh, they've, they've got probably five or six midfielders of, which are of very good quality, but they haven't got much else anywhere else. That's their major problem. And, uh, um, yeah. I've got much, not much else to say about it because Geelong still had a lot of good players out too. Yeah. yeah. So it, was good, yeah. it was good effort by Geelong. But, yeah, but the Bulldogs, it's, it's just something wrong with them that they've got this really good midfield and they don't win. Well, uh, this is what I'm worried about because the Western Bulldogs, I think, would have suffered from playing in Darwin last week. Ah, uh, good point. Good point. Uh, and then... Pardon me, an entertaining game. Uh, the Giants v Richmond and Richmond getting up at the end by six points after leading for the majority of the game, I think, from memory. Um, but the Giants putting on a good show to get back to draw even and then uh, a late goal sealed it for the tags. Yeah, this is my game of the round, actually, in terms of enjoyment. It just was a good game to watch and uh, very high-scoring point. In fact, the last two games of the round... Um, they were both very high-scoring uh, games, and they both got decided by a goal, and both got decided in, in very late in the game, um, in the last like dying seconds in, in the GWS Richmond game. Um, but they were very good to watch, and uh, it was great momentum swings either way um, in both games. And uh, like, no, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the game, and uh, in some ways, I was. Really hoping GWS would win the game, but uh, Pickett got that winning goal with, was it, 15 seconds to go or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. So, uh, but as I said, a very good game to watch. And, you know, um, Rewalt turned the clock back and he kicked five goals. And uh, Taranto uh, played extremely well, even though I thought these uh, team ex-teammates made a point of trying to give him one if they could. 
Um, but there, it was a good game. Um, one point I meant to raise after the uh, Geelong Western Bulldogs chat, how can you possibly have a situation where you've got four teams having a bye and yet they schedule two games at the same time? The Crows game and, and the and the Geelong game. An utter thorough disgrace, for me, and it just shows uh, the contempt that they have for us as a club, and or maybe all non-Victorian clubs, do, because the game that would have been televised in Melbourne would have been um, a the, uh, the Geelong Bulldogs game. Yep, Bulldogs game, and the uh, AFL, the boldest AFL. Uh, wouldn't put us and the Gold Coast on on a Sunday uh, late afternoon uh, because they would know that the Victorians wouldn't watch it. So it's not about anybody but the Victorian population, the VFL. That's all it is. And uh, you wouldn't get a better uh, proof of that than than putting those two games on at the same time. Yeah, um, if ever you wanted a, an example of where the focus is, as you said, Macca, that scheduling was it. I, I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe yeah. it. And you know, I think Gillian McLaughlin, you know, for people praised him for various things. I think he is the weakest, piss weak bloke that's ever run this competition. Well, Gillian McLaughlin knows which side his bread's buttered on, Macca. It's as simple as that. Well, yeah, and he, he puts the butt on pretty thick. That's why he's been, I think it's about 12 months overdue for his retirement, isn't he? Well, yeah, I mean, I think he'd stayed around to, you know, just whitewash the, uh, and pardon the pun, the, the Hawthorne situation. So, uh, yeah. Oh, I've probably had another couple of Mercedes to buy or something like that, so he just hung in there. Mm. I've got no, uh, I've got no last... time for no, the last game of the round uh, was also a good one. I didn't watch it, uh, but it was uh, uh, down to the wire again and Essendon by six points, which doesn't help us at all, 105 to 99. Uh, again, North Melbourne kicking almost 100 points and losing. That doesn't. We've had some high losing scores, 99, 104, uh, one of those rounds. Look, it was a good game again to watch again, and... Uh... Unfortunately, you know, North Melbourne really lost the game, I think, in the end, rather than Essendon winning it. Uh, that, you know, they were in front with five minutes to go by goal, and Zebel was kicking out uh, from a point, kicks out on the, uh, kicks it out uh, on pull on without, out, out of out of bounds. I couldn't get the bloody thing out. Um, <laughs> anyhow, that comes back, and they get a bloody goal, and then later on, Sheasel running into an open bloody goal from about twenty metres out. Why you would not do a drop punt is beyond me. Decides to just do a little side screw. But why would you do that? And and misses. So I mean, those two incidents were very focal incidents in the game, and, and, and you know, it would just change the whole nature of the whole game. And yeah. I think they could have won the game if they had if they had done done. If Zebel hadn't kicked it out of bounds on the full, and if uh, Sheasel had have kicked the goal, I just think it would have had a different result. And I was barracked for North Melbourne too. Yeah, never mind. All right, let's uh, look a little bit more closely at the um, Crows game. And as we mentioned, 16-16, 32 scoring shots to 22 Macca. Uh, probably gives you a little bit of a hint of the dominance in the second half, or particularly in the in the second, uh, the back end of the second quarter and the third quarter. 
1612 to Adelaide 13987. 25 points in the end. And uh, just before we do that, if we have a look at the ladder, um, we can see that we uh, have Collingwood uh, all clear on 44 points, Port Adelaide on 40. 32 for Melbourne and Brisbane, but the Lions have a game in hand. Um, we have St Kilda also with a game in hand on 28. I just, it shocks me that they're still up that high. Uh, Essendon on 28 points now with the Bulldogs. Geelong still in the eight on 24 points on percentage to the Crows and Frio with a game in hand. The Suns also sneaking up to uh, 24 points and 100%. Uh, so they're sniffing around a bit. Uh, then we've got the Swans on 20 with a game to come. Richmond on 18 with Carlton. Um, the Giants sort of, they're a good team for 15th, uh, 16th. And uh, then at Hawthorne, North Melbourne, West Coast. So it was a bit of a costly one for us, Mac. It's, uh, um, you know, drops us back out of the eight. And, um, you know, we had a real opportunity to maybe maybe put a bit of a gap between us and uh, the, uh, the 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 pack, if you like, and it just didn't happen for us. Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, we we looked like world beaters for a quarter and a bit. And uh, then after that, we looked like we'd never played football for a long time. And then we had one little burst where we suddenly looked like a, a team again. But uh, no, I, I was very frustrated, me because I don't think... We, A, selected the right side uh, for the game in the first place. And I don't think that the coach moved his players around correctly. I think he tried some odd things that didn't really work. I suppose you do try things. But, yeah, I just thought overall, and some players went from being looking like they were going to be stars in the first quarter to becoming liabilities as the game wore on. I just thought it was a strange game. I didn't feel like... um... Nick's really addressed the areas that we were getting beaten in. There was no real effort, um, I guess, that I could see to change the way things were going around stoppage and around clearance. Um, we got absolutely pantsed in the clearance stats, and um, you know, Nick's even acknowledged it in the in the uh, interview at halftime, um, saying that whoever won contested ball was going to win the game, and uh, it wasn't us. Um, so, you know, but there again, again, it's down to the players on the field, Macca, and uh, I didn't feel like we adapted to the conditions. I feel like, um, you know, I think it was, was it when Miller kicked that goal and it put us 35 points up? Yeah. Um, it felt to me like um, we just slackened off one or two percent. And, oh, we did. Uh, and Gold Coast kept, hunting the ball, kept hunting the ball, kept shuffling it forward. Uh, you know, their their work in close was excellent and they had enough outside runners to be able to move the ball forward. Uh, once uh, Dude went off, we were disorganised down back and we didn't really have an answer for Lukosius. Um, You know, Butts kept King covered, but it seemed to me that they cleared King out and made Lukosius the focus. And I, th- I think, actually, that um, Stuart Jew recognised that we were probably at all short and he made sure that that mismatch, if you like, was the one that they went for. 
Yeah, I don't think probably. I think you summed it up very well. I think that's exactly what he did do because um, so many times it was just loquacious on a one-out basis. And if he wasn't loquacious, there was going to be one of the other tools on a one-out basis. So, uh, yeah, they made sure that their tools weren't competing against each other. Yeah, so, you know... You know, we covered it a bit in the opener, I guess, but our, our midfield really let us down. Our mainstays really let us down. Um, Matt Rowe, as I mentioned, is having a bit of a purple patch of form, but, you know, we've got to be able to be good enough to... What we don't seem to be able to do, Mac, is we're very good where momentum's going our way, um, but we don't seem to be able to halt momentum. We've had a few goal runs against us this season. And nine goals unanswered from Gold Coast to break the game right open and allow them to eventually turn the game around by 60 points. Um, that's horrific in a half of football. It is horrific. I mean, it's virtually, you know, we just, we're virtually not there. I mean, so many players were so feeble. Um, some, some guys who played so, were so below what they're capable of. Saligo, for example, I thought was had a terrible, terrible game. He's capable of playing much better than that, um, but he was pretty terrible. I don't know whether they're playing Saligo in a position that Jake necessarily understands, Macca. I don't know. Yeah, look. When he's, played in, when he's been played on a wing and um, with occasional stints in the centre, and I'm not, not talking about in those type of conditions... He's been looked pretty. He's looked pretty good. He's been, you know, I see you see him as we were seeing him as a real real gun of the future. But his last couple of games have been just getting, getting less less. And, and I thought this was a real nothing game from him, um, the worst one that he's had. And you know, on, on his performance, he should probably be replaced. Well, Alex in the YouTube chat makes a point that I I agree with. I don't think he's a wingman. This is what I'm getting at, Macca. I actually think he's a he's a genuine midfielder, and again, this is where I wonder whether he and Pedler in tandem, um, you know, we need we need to work these young guys, Rochelle and Rankin and uh, Saligo and Pedler in a broader rotation through there, just to get some young legs in there, get them used to the contest, but also provide a point of difference and. Jake Saligo is very good at getting clearances. We know what Pedler can do. Rankin's fantastic, particularly around stoppage at getting clearance numbers. And Rochelle can mm. be really dynamic as well. And I just feel like, I just feel like we're missing a trick. And I think we've been sucked in because we're, you know, in contention to make the the finals. That we've actually lost uh, what should be our primary focus this year, which is getting quality games and quality. Um, you know, time in the right position into our younger players. I think you're, you're spot on there, Fiend, because um, at the beginning of the season, that's exactly what he was trying to do, is to play the players in the right spots. And, you know, well, for them, for their, uh, not just for that particular game, but for their future. And uh, we were playing pretty well. And, then as we've started, it's looked more and more likely that we could possibly participate in finals. He's actually swung the side around a little bit more, mm. like as if he's playing to try and we get into the finals rather than worrying about the progress of the young players. 
That's but it's actually counter counterproductive because it's it was earlier in the season when we were seeing those lads running through the middle and having little you know three or four minute cameos through the middle. That's what actually was getting us to where we are now. And to revert back to a midfield that, let's face it, has you know has not been successful. You know, it seems to me that uh, it's it's counterintuitive, and I, I think. You know, we cannot lose. We cannot be sucked into the. Oh, we need to make the eight. You know, uh, we need to. We're still in development phase. We're still in growth phase. You know, a lot of people forget that a bloke like Rankin hasn't even played fifty games yet. You know, there's a lot of players that need time, and you know, again, we're leaving a guy like Sam Berry out of the team in favour of a bloke like Ben Keys, and I have a problem when Ben Keys. Uh, stinks it up the way he does with his disposal. You know, Rankin's played 48 games. Um, he stinks it up with his disposal that Sam Berry can't get a run. Well, I suppose Berry's also got to play well enough to deserve his spot, uh, Fane. And I, I know Sometimes that... he doesn't. Sometimes he doesn't. Look, SANFL form is misleading, Macca, and sometimes you've got to just play the kids. Yeah, I, I know, understand where you're going. Um, but I also think that it can, be, it can be counterproductive if you play them if they're not, if they're not playing well. Well, uh, Barry's playing all right in the twos. Yeah, I don't think he's looked... I don't, look, players can often just have a down season and, and I just don't think he's looking like the Sam Berry of last year, for example. I, I mean, last year, you, you would have thought he would have come out roaring like a bull this year, but it just hasn't happened. So the thing of it is, we are now relying on blokes like Brody Smith, Rory Sloan, Ben Keyes, Rory Laird, Tex Walker, how are we developing this team? Oh, we do have younger players playing as well, but you are right. The emphasis is the nucleus of the team is revolving around those players. You're quite right. But I think every team every team will have some senior players. And what we have missing, of course, is we... We don't have that middle section, you know, the 25, 26-year-olds. So that's where we're light on. And that's why one of the reasons why we're relying on the um, yeah, not enough 100 to 200 games players. But that's why we're relying on those senior players because we should be having... Because the club did very poorly in its drafting for a period there and we've got this gap. We've got this yeah, I understand gap. that, but you're not going to get buried to 50, 60, 100 games if you don't play them. I understand that, but I still stand by the fact they've got they they still have to show enough to say that they deserve it. Otherwise, there's no point playing them. Yeah, uh, we've got players that are playing well enough in the SANFL to get a run in the in the ones because we are still in development phase. Macca, I agree. We with are you. still developing yeah. players, and Sloan Walker, Brody Smith, they are borderline not going to be involved in the next tilt. They won't be. And I think I think Matty Nix is getting sucked in or the match committee are getting sucked in to being results-driven 
and they have lost sight of the development of the squad. And I think the unfortunate thing is that what got us into this position was some very good performances by our younger players, and now we're going back to relying on the old stages, and it's not only is it counterproductive from a development point of view, but we are starting to see that the old stages, which is what we knew all along, weren't actually up to it. We still have we still do have a lot of young players in the side, though, Fane. Yeah. You, you've got to, you still have to have some form of balance. If you, um, you you don't. I mean, if you want to look at the extreme of it, the like West Coast before some of those senior players come back and they were just fielding out. Um, 22 young players, well, then they, that's when they were getting the 20 old plus the defeats. You've got to still have some stabilising factors with some senior players. Now, whether like, we've got all the right ones in the right places, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not prepared to commit myself and say that's 100% right. But you, do, you still do have to have some form of balance. What I'm saying is that we are relying on those old stages. You can still have, you can still have older stages in your team for experience and, and all that. But I'm talking about midfield in particular, Macca. It is the midfield. It where the midfield. we are where we have gone back to reverted back to type and played the old stages. You know, Roy Sloan has been fantastic uh, earlier in the season when he was playing cameos, playing off half back and coming off the bench and all the rest of it. But now he's getting genuine midfield minutes. And I I think it's counterproductive. I agree with that. No, that that, that is definitely Sloan is. Um, Rory Sloan should really be uh, not the leading player. He should be uh, the young kid should be able to go, and, and Rory just helps him to go along. Not rather Rory be the star of the show, and the kids then hang off of him. So it, and, you're and right. Don't get me wrong. Sloan's had some really good cameo performances which is exactly what we want from your senior guys you know there's been times when Sloan has put us on his back and got us over the line you know and that's exactly what you want but you're actually diminishing his impact on the game when you're asking him to play a full game in the midfield when he's actually not physically capable of it and so not only do we get those those um those nice periods where he where he can take over a game, but we're cooking him for the whole game. Mm. Oh, look, I, I, he's one I definitely agree with. That. Um, yeah, but oh, you're right. I think it's a. Well, no, when you were talking about it uh, before about uh, the mix of players, it sounded like the whole team. But if you're talking, if you just focus it in on the midfield. Definitely, uh, there's been an absolute reversion there back to the, the old heads. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I would suggest, Macca, is that our forward line, as star-studded as it is on paper, has become very, very, very lazy in my view. We are remember in the first couple of games how we're hitting up targets and we're making space and we're changing lanes and we're dropping our eyes. All that's gone out the window, and some of it is because we we're under more pressure on transition. But I don't think the forwards are moving anywhere near as hard or working anywhere near as hard to make space as what they were earlier in the season. If you're talking about Walker and Fogarty, I agree with you. 
Um, those, those two in particular, I thought, um, well, would never seem to be out in the open. Um, Correct. Or, and they never seem to be a long way apart from each other either, which was another thing. Which, um, yeah, when we when we look look at our best, we have a, a very widely spread forward line. And you've got a choice of going to Walker or you've got a choice of going to Fogarty or you've got a choice of going to Peddler because everybody's spread. And it's always about the spread. Um, yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't... Our forward line didn't function quite as well, but also I don't think the ball was coming in there near, anywhere near as good as it should be. Andalou's saying in the chat, four of our goals, goals came from them on the lead. And that kind of proves my point, mate, because... Not only does movement create um, opportunities for them, but it also breaks up the defence and provides opportunities for others. Mm. Um, you know, for a Rankin, for a Peddler, um, you know, those boats. I also think we've actually suffered heavily by not having Sean McAdam back in the team. Um, you know, I think it, he's had wretched luck by getting that suspension and then, and then you know being back in the twos and he is really a point of difference in the in the forward line and he provides a lot more pressure than people give him credit for and I think with Tex and Fogg um, and and Riley Thilthorpe often playing up the ground to get his marks um, I think McAdam is the point of difference as a third toll that we miss at the moment um, well I don't, I don't know how he's been going in the twos, but when he was when he was in the A's before he had he disappeared, um, he was in startling form. He, he really really add that X factor up into the forward lines. Yeah. Um, so you know, the, I, I honestly have been concerned for a couple of weeks with the forward line and also with our transition that we've we've started to see a reversion back to down the line footy. Uh, a reversion back to um, the the tall forwards looking for the body instead of trying to get separation. Um, you know, all the things that made us look very, very potent at times earlier in the season seem to have gone by the wayside or, or seem to only occur in patches. And look, you've got to probably give opposition coaches a little bit of credit for that because they would have seen how we match up and how we set up and how we move the ball and they'd be coming up with... Uh, ways to um, you know to dampen that, but we have to be good enough to get through that. We have to be we have to be good enough to be able to to work through uh, whatever opposition strategies come our way. And uh, I just feel like we're content when we don't get an when we don't get our easy flow. Um, you know, then we just revert back to pack marking, and we don't have the players. Riley Thilthorpe isn't yet ready to be that big clunking forward uh, taking marks um, and as I said I think we miss Sean McAdam in that space uh, Darcy uh, took a, one or two nice grabs but Tex has just gone back to that trying to get people under the ball and getting it over the back which really frustrates the hell out of me um, Did so yeah. That, didn't yeah. 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 Tex was behind far too much on the weekend and he was as you say trying to uh, push them under and get get and make a space behind, but um, yeah, we just you really just needed the players to move around and make leads so that 
they try to cover more than one player. It's very hard to cover uh, every player if, they, if they're all moving around. Yeah, sorry, the rock, Shane McCannum, not Sean McCannum. Um, you know, we've got Lockie Glant in the two. Um, 1990 says he's not AFL standard, that's silly. Um, he is AFL standard. You can't judge when he's only played half a dozen games and don't, don't get a look in. Um, he will be a good forward for someone. I don't know whether it will be us. He's a he's a Jack Gunston type, um, and uh, he just needs to be played the right way and given a run of games. Um, so, and who are you going to anyway. take out? Who would you take out to put him in, Payne? Gallant. Mm. Um, look, at the moment, I think um, I'd probably... Uh, uh, well, based on what I saw on the weekend, it looks like Riley Thilthorpe's quite sore. So I wouldn't mind giving Riley a rest if he needs it, and I'd bring Lockie Glant in for for Riley Thilthorpe. Um, you know, apart from that, I think it's a shuffle of the way we use Pedler and Saligo and Keys. Um, you know, we can get Gallant into a forward rotation with Fogarty Um if we like, just by having that one forward on the bench. Um, you know, Ned McHenry can quite easily come out of that rotation. Um, even, I mean, yeah. Lockie Murphy has had a couple of poor games since I pumped up his tyres. Um, I don't know. I don't think we've got the mix right at the moment, Mac. Uh, well, you know, it hasn't been too good the last two games. So, but... Um, it, also, we are, it's, what is very hard is, is we've been playing, well, well, we won last week, but the, the Ballarat game and um, this particular game, they are sort of abnormal games in the sense that one's freezing bloody cold and out in the country and another one's up bloody north in the bloody heat. It, with, it, with a side that's got a lot of young players in it, it, it isn't surprising, though, that they sometimes turn in a bad one thing. No, it's they not. Played very, they played very well against Brisbane. Yeah, well, it's not, but it's a, like Western Bulldogs, we turn in a bad one, and you go, okay, we turn in a bad one. It was a shit ground. We don't want to be there, blah, blah, blah. Fair enough. But this game wasn't like that. We were 35 points up, Mac. It's not as if we were putting in a bad one. It's just that we didn't have the next gear when Gold Coast kicked it up a notch, and that to me is more of a concern. And we've seen that a couple of times this season. We've seen it against GWS. We've seen it against Richmond. You know, there there have been games where we have been, uh, where we've had fast starts and teams have overrun us. And this was another one of those. We we were doing it on the bit halfway through the second quarter. We're absolutely doing it on the bit, and you can't expect to have that level of momentum for the whole game, and. What we do is um, we either kick ourselves out of the game when we do have momentum, um, but this game it was more about we just we just went to pieces. So that well, that's that's more of a concern than just having a bad game. Well, it was amazing though how we went from being dominant to subservient. You know, and we were we we made the game look so easy in that first quarter and a bit, and then. It was like somebody just turned off the switch and just uh, said, well, you, that, that's not happening anymore. Now, I want you to just 
play as if you were bloody North, uh, West Coast. <laughs> you know, it, it was just the, the contrast was so huge for me. And it was contested ball. It was all coalface, Mac. And that's, I guess, my point, that we got brushed aside. And I'm talking about our mature bodies. Got Rory Laird, Rory Sloan, um, mm. you know, Jordan Dawson, uh, Benny Keyes, you know, our mature hard bodies got brushed aside by kids. Let's not forget that the Gold Coast Suns were a younger team than us this week. You know, Is that tell, right? Yes. Tell me, tell me their most experienced player. It was probably Levi Casbolt. He would have been, yeah. But around around the ball, where was their Rory Sloan? Where was their Rory Ledge? Uh, Rory Laird. Yeah, although the, the two blokes that carved us up, they've been a few years now. I mean, and Anderson. They, you know, that they are very established players. So they're not young lads on the way up. They they are established players. And good not one. veterans by any stretch, Macca. Not They're veterans. Twenty twenty. What was it? Twenty eighteen. They came into the into the system. Was that their draft or twenty seventeen? Seventeen at at, at the earliest. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the simple fact is the Gold Coast were a very young team. Yeah, but they, as somebody said in the chat, they've got a lot of top ten picks in there as well, though, Fane. All I'm hearing is excuses, mate. We are well, we our midfield our midfield has two multiple best and fairest for the club winners in it, plus Jordan Dawson, plus the bloke who has more hit outs than anyone else in the AFL, and we couldn't get it done. I, not, I, not not even we couldn't get it done. We couldn't match them. When that when Matt Rowe decided to go, he absolutely destroyed us. He did, didn't he? Um, yeah. I, I think I do. Well, I just still think we're uh, we're not a complete side at this stage by any means, and uh, and we will have our. It's going to be like that. We'll have our moments, and um, this one was extreme in terms of the difference. Extreme. Um, and uh, I think you've got to look at the players and say, I, I just can't accept that. But um, we are a younger side, and, and I think for that reason, we, we, we will always be a little bit inconsistent, but we've never been quite as bad as this. Macca, that is just... Macca, I, I'm not going to argue with you this week because, you know, that's boring to listen to, but I have to take you to task on this because it was not our young players that let us down. It was our senior players that let us down. I thought there were a lot of players let us down. Not just, I think it was a mixture of both. No, well, um, uh, we've just finished talking about our midfield, which we said was full of senior players, and our midfield got pantsed. Yeah, well, they did. They did, but... Um, there wasn't much out of Saligo. There was nothing out of Ned. There was very little out of Rochelle. And uh, um, if you look at, if you go through the young blokes, there wasn't much there. I, I, don't, I just don't think that... They weren't at the one, coalface, Macca. No, that's true. We were very poor at the coalface. Where did we get beaten at the coalface? Who was at the coalface? Our senior players. It's no good to say that we're a young team because it wasn't our young kids... That got beaten. 
that was that wasn't the difference because you can point to a Saligo, you could also point to a Luke Pedler who kept us in the game for, at times. You can also point to, you know, um, blokes down back, Max Michelani, for example. Like, there are plenty of good ki- good kids are going to come in and out of the game, but if you're going to put your senior players around the coalface, you're doing it for a reason. Right. Uh, oh, okay, and I agree with that. So who would you have had around there? I've already said that. I would have run more rotations through Pedler. I would have run more rotations through Saligo, Rochelle, Rankin. We didn't see those blokes run through any CBAs whatsoever. We At no stage did we make ourselves difficult to play against. At no stage did we change up our configuration when Gold Coast started to get on top around the contest. We, we never did. We just kept going to the well over and over and over again. The only thing that I saw Nick's do was pull uh, O'Brien off and, and stick Murray in, in the ruck for five minutes, which was a bit mystifying considering we were already short staff down back. Um, but it shows you how badly O'Brien was going. And obviously they couldn't ruck Thilthorpe, which is why I think Thilthorpe was, was sore. But it was at the coal, it was around the coal face that we needed to change things up, and, and the blokes doing the most damage around the coal face were, were younger blokes. Yeah, well, the other thing um, which is interesting about what you just said about Phil Thorpe, I mean, um, you would hope that if Rob's going bad, that the Phil Thorpe comes onto the ball and he and he and he takes over and he competes. But um, if if it, the fact that he didn't, or if he did, it was only for a very short period of time. Makes you think that we we were playing a, a a relatively unfit player. Well, or or he hurt himself during the course of the game. I think he had a, he had a run in the ruck. I think I saw him take at least one or two centre bounces. I think in the second quarter. I didn't see it after that. No, because um, I no, I I just thought. That was strange because we, we we desperately needed it because Rob was just getting absolutely trounced. So, you know, and he brought Murray up as a ruckman and I just thought that was odd. Well, who else was he going to ruck? Yeah, but Murray's... One, one, I think Murray's our, very close to being our best defender. And you know, So who and, else are you going to ruck if you want to give Riley a break and Thilthorpe's not able to? Really, I don't really know. I just don't know the answer. But but I, not not many sides take their full back or their um, or key backmen and put them into the ruck and weaken their back line. No, that's true. I, I'm just saying. I think he was probably out of out of uh, out of options at that stage. He needed to get O'Brien off for a break. And as I said, I don't think Phil thought was able to for whatever reason. Yeah, you know, the Port Adelaide model's not bad in the sense that when they haven't got, when they're not going any good in ruck, I mean, they use Finlayson. Now, Finlayson's not a ruckman um, backside, but, you know, they can they virtually concede the knock, but they uh, they virtually say we're going to have another midfielder on the ground. So, um, you know, even something like that would have worked. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I, you know... There, there, there were other things, and you know, I guess again, that's where Nix shows that he's a bit one-dimensional in his thinking. Well, I think he is one-dimensional in his thinking, and I, and, I, and 
Um, I, he's obviously very frustrated during the game because, I mean, I can't remember when he ever came down and sat down next to the players and t- kept telling what they what he wanted them to do. So I don't know what it is that these specific players were supposed to do or hadn't done. Oh, it was very it was very obvious. It was the cold face statistics. He talked about it at half time. The the uh, contested ball stat and the ground ball gets were two areas that he felt we were under pressure and we were going to have to go with Gold Coast because he he realised that Gold Coast had lifted their work rate. And they were the two stats that we got slaughtered on in the second half. And I'm telling you right now, that's what he would have been digging into those players about. Didn't work then, did it? Well, no, of course not. But, I mean, you know, short of him going out and getting the ball himself, what else is he supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, fair comment, Pete. So let's have a look at some uh, team statistics. It's a, it's a very, I think we're at a very interesting stage here, and it, you know, Maka, it's. Um, it, uh, I, I was thinking about this a bit uh, today, which is why I raised earlier about us maybe losing sight of what the grand plan is, because you know when you're contending for a finals position, you know. Obviously, there is a tendency to to want to go and get that finals position. Everyone wants to play finals. That's why you play footy. That's why you play sport. You want to get into the into the into the pointy end of the season. But it would be ridiculous to think that we would be contending for a premiership this year. And I think, therefore, uh, there's a real challenge for the co- pardon me for the coaching staff over the next month or so to remember where we're at in our development and what we're trying to achieve. Um, you know, we've had a very tough first half of the year in terms of the draw and the travelling and all the rest of it. Uh, we get a freshen up after West Coast with a buy, which I think the club and some of the younger players probably need. Mm. Um, but you would want to think that whether we make the eight or not is more or less irrelevant and what we need to be doing is continuing to develop the players that are going to come up next. And I don't know whether we're doing that well enough at the moment. Look, that's an excellent point you raised there, Fane, in the sense that um, we, as supporters, and and we're all guilty of it, we we want our team to be in the eight. But being in the eight isn't everything because... We could get in the eight and have no hope of winning the flag. So is it better to get in the eight and uh, sacrifice development of players or continue to develop players and possibly by doing that miss out on the eight? And I think the second one is probably a better alternative. It's not for the coach and maybe not all supporters would see it that way. But what we would then see in 2024 might be a much better team for doing that. Yep. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's any problem with... I don't think there's any reason to shy away from making the eight because playing in a final is always good experience. Um, But you don't want to get there for the sake of getting there, right? If... And as I said earlier, you know, some of the early wins that we had this season were on the back of some really good performances from our young players. And we seem to have reverted back 
to using the old stages to our detriment. Not only are we not looking as convincing, but you know what's the point? In the meantime, we've got blokes in the twos that we need to we need to um, you know we need to get games into. We need to be developing. You know, we need to be understanding whether these blokes have got it or whether we need to move them on. So, I don't know. I it's it's going to be a very interesting time. I will say that Matthew Nix, if he was to take us to a premiership maker, no coach in the in the AFL era has gone from a thirty percent winning record to a premiership. And if he does it that's what he will have achieved. Yeah. Um, yeah. All I can say, I know. history is against it, that's for certain. Yeah. Um, because it's, cause it's such a big, uh, a, big, a big thing to ask, and you only need one. You might be improving the team gradually every year, and you might be getting close to getting to the eight, and then you have one bad year, and then... You're dead in the water. This is the coach I'm talking about. So look, yeah. it's very hard for any coach that comes into a team and takes them from the bottom up, uh, because if there's any hiccups along the way, well then they are they're the victim. There's no doubt about it. It might be will be the player's fault, but it's it, he's going to be the victim. Yeah. So and and, well, I, and I think Nixon, and that's one of the Nixon's problems. I think I think he he feels he's got to get either into the eight or just outside the eight. Yeah, and which is where we... I mean, I, I felt at the beginning of the season we were good enough to make the eight. I, I still feel like we're good enough to make the eight. Um, but I'm not going to be disappointed if it ends up being ninth or tenth either because that's about mm. where we are. We, we're around the fringes right now. We can, we've can we beaten sides in the eight. We've beaten Brisbane. We've beaten St Kilda, you know. Um, so it's not as if we're not around the mark. And it's a very... You know, the gap between... Uh, you know, probably 14, 15 teams in the competition from best to work worse is not that great. You know, you can have a you can have a, a an off day like we had against Western Bulldogs and get destroyed. You know, mm. so it, it's and my point about the statistic was not so much an indictment on Nick's. It was more about what he what he has to achieve in order to achieve success. You know, he he took hold of a squad on the downward spiral, and it will be a massive achievement for him if he is able to take, go from a thirty percent win loss record to a uh, to a premiership. It will be massive. So it's a and no one's ever done it before. No one's ever done it before. And there's been plenty of coaches that have taken over bad lists. So we can't underplay what a what a mountain it has been to get us even to where we are at the moment but what I'm what I'm just concerned about is that we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves in terms of results when what we what we need to remember is we're still developing we're still developing and we've still got players on our list that you know even last year we thought were best 22 like Sam Berry and we need to. I'm for Ides Billy. I'm talking career, not just this year. Um, you know, Sam Berry, Harry Schoenberg, um, Jackson Haitley, uh, Lockie Gallant, uh, Brennan Cook, uh, like all of those sort of lads. Um, Nan Kervis. We Nan- have to test them out. We have to test them out. Yeah, I agree. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I do think, you know, there's certainly games we should target where we're going to put in one or two of these lads that at least to give them a try. Yep. So anyway, let's uh, have a look at some team stats, shall we? Because that will probably tell us something. Uh, we won the disposal count three hundred nine to three thirty. Uh, they kicked it more than us. They are two to one handball, uh, two to one kick to handball team. We knew that coming in, and that's exactly how they play, Mac. They don't handball much. They get the ball forward uh, by foot. Uh, we were two hundred eight to one two two. Uh, inside sixty, uh, inside fifty, sixty-one to fifty-eight. That went at sixty uh, percent disposal efficiency. We went at seventy, and that tells you a bit about how the game was played, Mac. That uh, maybe we just tried to be a little bit too cute. They were more intent on just moving the ball forward, um, and we were just a bit too cute, perhaps. Well, as Dermot Burton kept saying all the time, that uh, Gold Coast, uh, even when there's an opportunity, they won't go out wide. They were just going always down the centre, which is the shortest way yeah. home. And mm. so they kick it, even if they kick it to a pack, and, okay, it might be repelled five times out of six, but there's a sixth one get through and they get a goal, that's pretty good. So they were obviously under instructions to do that. We, we were trying to play our normal fancy game, and as you pointed out, we had a lot more handballs than they did. And um, handballs don't gain you a lot of distance, and they've got to be spot on, and they can't be to a player under pressure. So, um, whereas with a kick, if you kick it in, say, 40, 50 metres, in these slippery conditions, where it's impossible to uh, play perfect football, then at least you've got a 50-50 chance to either, well, not so much mark it, but at least get to the ground and, and compete. And I think mm. they, they, their, their, the, the game they played, what we while it, was, it wasn't so wet, our game worked. As soon as it got slippery in the second half, in the second half of the first second quarter, and we're still trying to do the same thing, that's when it all went wrong. And they're playing very direct football, and we're playing, still trying to play fancy football, and it just went downhill from there. So, you know, I think the coach is at fault here to some degree. He should have changed our game plan in the sense of just direct, be very direct with it, do what they're doing, because it's working for them. What's working? Ours, ours had stopped working for us. Yeah. And as the game went on, the ball got slippery and slippery. It was harder and harder to do. So, you know, we should have been, we should have actually just changed what we were doing. Uh, interestingly, here you talk about efficiency inside fifty. They uh, AFL dot com dot au says that uh, Gold Coast had twenty nine shots from sixty one inside fifties. And we had 28 shots from 58 inside 50s. Uh, we only had 22 scoring shots. So does that mean that six shots shots are counted that didn't make the difference or didn't score? Well, obviously it has to be that, doesn't it? Interesting. I've never no- I've never noticed that before um, oh, because of our efficiency... Our efficiency, as far as I'm concerned, efficiency inside 50 should be scoring shots, not shots. It should be scoring shots. Uh, no, it could still and be if, hitting, a, hitting a target right in front of goal. But that's not, no, but the efficiency inside 50 is how many shots per inside 50. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. So it should, but to my way of thinking, it should be scoring shots, not shots. Because we only had 22, um, we kicked 13 goals, 9. So we had 22 scoring shots. 
if they used that stat, we would have been far, our efficiency would have been far less than for what the 48% is that we've got here. Mm. It was 61 to 58 inside 50s, and, and yet we had, what what did I say earlier, 12 or 13 less scoring shots. So how yeah. can our efficiency be the same? Doesn't make sense. Uh, free kicks, 29 to 23. I haven't touched on the umpires yet because at the end of the day... Um, you know, it, we should not have let Gold Coast get uh, back in front, but uh, it was pretty interesting umpiring in the last quarter, Mako. Well, yeah, one particular free must be mentioned, and that was the 50-metre free against, was it Jones? Against um, Jones. It was just unbelievable. Well, I watched that and replayed that several times and saw where the players uh, actually took the mark or... or uh, mark Jones was exactly on the spot where the mark was taken. Exactly on the spot. So I don't know what, why. Yeah. How, how could he call fifty meters? Yeah, it was Jones was was horrible. It was just horrible. And that umpire twenty two, he didn't actually make that decision. But I, he, I must admit, he had his little influence during the game. And I must admit, um, I'm sure that we hate him as, as a. Hate getting him as an umpire each week, and AFL. The more you complain about an umpire, they will keep giving him uh, that play, that umpire every time you complain. Yeah, but it was uh, not him. I think it was nine or six or yeah. I don't know one of the others. No, he, he didn't do the Jones one, but uh, he but he did have his little moments during the game. Yeah, but the, yeah, the last quarter there was some mystifying freeze. The uh, one that Sloan gave away for too high, uh, the Jordan Butts holding the ball. Uh, there was a, there was a few of them. Uh, but as I said, at the end of the day, we had the opportunity to take the umpires right out of the equation. Um, Scoot, I can see who's in the chat with the hands up, and we will get C's girl on shortly. Don't worry. Um, so, you know, it, it did have, it certainly stopped our, any sort of momentum we might have had uh, in the last quarter, but it should never have come to that, should it? No, the other thing too, that, that nine goal unanswered run, I, yes, you've got to blame the players for that, but you also have to blame the coaching panel for not thinking of an answer to somehow slow that down. Oh, 100%. Absolutely, Macca. Um you know, there there was, I mean, I I guess defensively we're a little bit stymied with Diday going down, um, you know, and our sub was Ned McHenry, so you know that didn't provide us with a lot of options defensively, which meant we had to sacrifice Mitch Hinge, um, who I thought looked a little bit at sea uh, against Lacocious. Um you know, so that didn't help us. But again, I feel like the damage was done. Uh, Pardon me, further up the ground. Um, you know, we gave them far too much supply, in my opinion, during that period. Uh, we just allowed it. And, you know, anything, clog up the game, whatever. You have, there had to be some moves made that could, that could clog that game up to stop that run because it was just too easy. They were just getting them at will. And uh, we were trying to do what we were... It's the same old story. If you do what you... If you do what you been doing and it hasn't been working well it's just gonna you're just gonna get the same result every time and yep. we didn't change we just didn't change things 
No, that's exactly right. We kept trying to play the, the game style that we wanted to play rather than the game style we needed to play, Mac. And Hold to on. me, that's lazy. Um, 46 to 41 clearances, uh, 18 to 13 at centre, even around stoppage. Uh, but this is the one here, Mac, that uh, Matthew Nix would have been pissed off about. 174 to 136 contested possessions. Um, you know, that's, that's a pantsing. That's on the players. That's on, that's on nobody else. That, that can't be on the coach. Exactly. That's on the players. Ex- exactly. So if you look at contested possessions, um, out of the top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, out of the top ten, we had three. They had seven. Um, Noah Anderson with eighteen. Led with fourteen. Rao with thirteen. Humphrey with thirteen. Davies with twelve. Holman with eleven. Lacocious with ten. Ben Keyes with 10, David Swallow with 9, Lockie Murphy, uh, Chase Jones and Darcy Fogarty with 9. But just just not enough from our coal-faced players. And see, this is what I'm getting at, Mac. When you're talking about a bloke like, say, Jordan Dawson had 8 contested possessions for the game on a wet day, um, you know, he, he only had one more contested possession than Rory Atkins. Uh, Rory Sloan only had 6 contested possessions for the whole game. Only six. You know, Brody yeah, Smith, yeah. only five contested possessions for the whole game. And I'm telling you right now, Brody Smith a couple of times could have gone into a pack for a mark and he didn't. I don't know whether people noticed that, but there were a couple of times that Brody Smith could have come in from the side and killed a contest and he chose not to. Um, and I thought that was pretty average. I didn't actually pick that up, Bain. Um Yep, a couple of times he did it. Isaac Rankin only had the five contested possessions. Wayne Miller only had five. You know, a lot of players that you would want to be up in and around the contest that weren't. You know, if we have a look at ground ball gets, for example, um, you know, Laird and Anderson had 13, Humphrey 11, Holman 11, Van Keys 9, Fiorini and uh, Davies 9, you know, Again, just a, not a lot of output from our... Like Rory Sloan, three ground ball gets. You know, Josh Rochelle, three ground ball gets. It's not, that's not good enough. No. You know, not when the game... Um, not in the conditions. That's where, that's where they yeah, exactly. should be. Exactly. In that condition, exactly. they should be dominant in that area. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, um, interesting. Oh, there we are. Yeah, so... You know, a couple of key stats there um, that really highlighted, I think, why Matthew Nix was so peeved. Um, and it was the, it was all the coalface stats, you know. We had 163 uncontested possessions to 126 and lost comfortably. You know, so usually, usually when we get the ball on the outside, we win. But it just goes to show you that wasn't the type of game that was being played. No, because we might have got the first one on the outside and, and uh, it's, it didn't continue after that, unfortunately. Exactly. So, yeah, no, it, it was a game really of just slugging to, to... Once, you know, about halfway through that second quarter, it, would, it was a game that where they just slugged it out and we were trying to be fancy and we just got knocked off our perch. Yeah. Uh, marks 60 to 56, inside 56 to 10 our way, contested marks 11 to 8 their way. Uh, but they took 74 to 62 intercepts, Mac, and that was exactly what was happening, particularly in that run, that they were able to, to cut us off 
Um, you know, we got a lot of outside ball, but they were cutting us off and turning it over. So, um, um, you know, it, it wasn't really effective, the amount of ball that we got on the outside. Tackles 54 to 77, inside 50, 12 to 20 uh, our way. So, you know, nothing wrong with tackling pressure, but again, it, it wasn't... Uh, they were able to shake free and get the ball moving, so it wasn't a it wasn't a key factor. Well, let me put this question to you, Fang. He's been our captain before. He's been a very good servant of the club. Um, but I think that playing Sloan is a negative factor because he's he's not going to be around when we ever do make finals, and uh, or when we really in the hunt for a premiership and I don't think his output is can it it's not all it's at times it's good at times it's you can see he's just not quick enough and he's also holding back a young player playing in that midfield so am I being harsh on him or should he be not picked no look I I think at times this year we've sung Rory's praises Macker as as recently as last week against Brisbane I think it's game. how we. I think it's how we're playing him. It's not. He should not be a mainstay in the midfield rotations. It just should not be a mainstay. It, it's not what he's in the team for. Remember this year we started him off half back with cameos in the middle. You know we could start him as a sub. We could start him on the bench and just rotating through a few positions. You know I, I'm quite happy for Rory Sloan to be in the team under certain circumstances for a particular role. Um, but if you're going to play him as part of your number one midfield rotation, you're making a mistake, in my in my opinion. That's where I'm coming from, because he's actually... There is no development going on, because we're playing... Uh, we, well, Dawson is Dawson, and he's good. And Laird is, Laird, Laird is good. Uh, Keys has used in there for some purposes, sometimes not. Um but when you play threat slowly in there, you've got like four senior players and no juniors in there developing. And um, yeah, and I, to me, I think that, and you pointed out quite rightly, what we need is midfielders. We need quality uh, midfielders. And and uh, you said that we should be out chasing midfielders from other clubs or, or from wherever. And I agree with you. But at the moment, we're not giving the ones that we've got, the juniors we've got, the chance to develop. True. Um, just before we get into individual stats, uh, Seas Girl, how are you going? Hey guys, how are we? Can you hear me? We can, can hear you loud and clear, and, and I'm delighted to hear you. Fantastic. Look, something I've just noticed a couple of weeks. Um, so, Rory Laird, um, supposed to be in all Australian form. So, two weeks ago, played 82% of the game. The last two weeks has only paid 74. Being managed, I assume? I think there's an answer for that. He got a very nasty knee in his ribcage going back two weeks ago. And uh, I, he, he was very dubious about getting up to play last week. And uh, he did play. And again, he played again this week. But he's not quite at his very best because, as I said, it was a really nasty knee, knee into his ribcage that he got. So it's obviously affecting him. So, so why wouldn't you why play Sam Berry? 
for a couple of weeks and then put Sam Barry in or a Pat Parnell or a, or a young kid to get some games into him. Well, I, I would probably do that, but I'm not the coach. This is Nick. Nick is he just sticks with the same guys. But yeah, but I mean, we're not talking about what Nick does. We're talking about what Nick should do, and it's an extremely good point that you make, um, Seeds Girl, because. I'm 100% at it. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Why are we playing half-injured players at the expense of blokes that can come in and do a job? And, yeah, they might not be tearing up the SANFL, but Sam Berry is almost a like-for-like replacement for Rory Laird in terms of what he brings, and it might be just the opportunity he needs. You've got that kid that you need in the middle getting some games, and you've got your two key players beside and keys and... Um, whoever else would be there. I mean, Sloan, I, I agree with you. Fenn should be a uh, Fenn should be a um, rotation off the bench. Um, should not be starting in the midfield at all, or should be off the half back line. Um, I said that beginning of this year, um, and um, I do value his leadership skills when Dawson's having a, a bad game. Um, but, you know, he should definitely be a rotation rather than a starter in the midfield. And all those people in the chat having to go at Rankin for one bad game, go check yourselves, please. Yeah, you're quite right about that. The only thing that I'll say about Rankin, it has now happened three times where he has had opportunities to kick goals where he's been on the run and coming into forward 50 and he's shanked every one of them. And I don't know, that's... Like that? Why did he try and kick that ball around his body when he was running straight at goals? I don't understand. I, well, I, that's what all players are doing now, Finn. Well, then if they're going to do it, if they're going to do it, sees girl, they want to bloody do it. You don't like. That's he. He turned an easy shot into a harder shot, and then he didn't even make the distance because he bellied it. Like. But that and at other times during the year he's not made the distance or he's fluffed it up. Like it's very interesting that when he gets a ball in hand when he's on on his own and he's running into goal, he seems to have to when he has to think too much about it, he ends up like having seven different options in his head. Yeah, look, he's a player that plays on instinct, and you're quite right. When he's got too much time to think, that's when he usually buggers up. And uh, yeah. in that, that particular instance. Um, like, Fiend is right. That was just a straight run at goal and kick it. But for some reason he did, and, and you're right, also right, Seeds Girl, in the sense that so many players do it this in this day and age, but there's also a lot of players that do it and stuff up. It's, it, there is, there's always a risk factor if you don't get it exactly in the right spot. Or if you hit it in the belly of the ball, it just goes flying uh, sideways. So when, you, when you're running at goal, I mean, surely at that level, and he wasn't on a, it wasn't too severe an angle. Surely no, he, he just, could have thrown yeah. right through the gut. He's got yeah, a, I, I totally agree. Yeah, you just run straight, and you just run straight, and you but just takes the ball straight through the goal. So, and he doesn't do anything magic like putting uh, waving the ball around when he when he uh, kicks the ball. He does hold it properly, and he puts it in front of his boot. He's just got to run straight. But mm. uh, yeah, and, and uh, look. I think he mentally was a little bit under pressure because they were actually behind play. They were, they were giving they were giving him a lot of physical buffeting. Um, uh, so, and I think that was distracting his mentality a little bit. But uh, um, it, look, 
don't worry about him in the sense that, yes, I, he did let us down a bit in this particular game, but he'll be good. Yeah. And right. one more thing, one yeah. more thing, one more thing. Um, there is a there is a SNFL coach that is undefeated this year that definitely deserves another chance at a coaching position. Wouldn't be the uh, Sturt head coach, would it, uh, Cisco? Oh, I think you know me too well, mate. <laughs> They're travelling very nicely. Who is the... Marty Matla. Sheep. Um, yeah, I think Marty's going to be an assistant coach, not a, not the coach at AFL. But he's done the assistant coach at AFL at Sydney. He did do a bit of coaching for a bit in the AFL and deserves a second chance. He's had his... If we're talking about Buckley getting a second chance, why isn't Matna getting talked for a second chance? When, you, when you're talking about Buckley, you're talking about somebody who's coached at AFL level for, well, a lot a lot of years. And Marty Matna was assistant coach at Sydney for four years and yeah, but... then was a senior coach for two years after that. So that's six I mean, I'm not. I'm not rubbishing Matt Matner, but his his record is an as an assistant coach. Uh, Buckley is as an AFL coach, and um, he's he's had some pretty good years as a coach as well. Um, I'm not saying Matt is a, a premiership coach. I was going to say that three time premiership coach coming up. Thank you. Yeah, but that's but that's at a different level though. Thing it's still got got, got to be. There is a big difference it's still in coaching. All right, Macca. All right, Macca. I'll, I'll give you this, right? They're pulling all these bloody blokes from assistants like Voss and, and Buckley was an assistant for a while and uh, yeah. Brett Ratton was assistant, all the rest of it. And none of them are doing any good. And we've got like, when right. these days, when, when coaching jobs come up, it's almost like, well, shit, who do you get? To the extent where Essendon had to go for Brad Scott because there was literally no one in the, in the pool. And I think that um, there are some state league coaches, um, like uh, Seedskill points out, that are severely underrated. And I, I, I would agree with you, Mac, if the if they'd only ever played at SANFL level than coached at SANFL level. Money Matten had played over 200 games and won a flag with with Sydney under Paul Ruse and has been a, a successful yep. assistant coach at two clubs and won two premierships at SANFL level from three attempts. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. correct. And coming up for three out of four. So if you had the choice of uh, Buckley, Hardwick, or Matna, who are you going to pick? Well, Hardwick, obviously. Well, Hardwick doesn't want. Well, Hardwick, yes, but Hardwick doesn't want to coach anyone else at the moment. He wants to take, you know, two years off. Wouldn't surprise me if he goes to Tassie, but you know. Um... All, all I'm all I'm saying, Macca, is that don't discount good state league mm. coaches. You don't have to be just because you've played at AFL level and then gone into an assistant situation. That's not that shouldn't be the only pathway. I mean, he, Marty Matten has gone back and coached his one. own team. <laughs> like, assistant coaches aren't responsible for their own team. Sorry, he's gone cutting you off there. Go for it. Yeah. The uh, Central's coach that won nine in a row. Yeah. Prime example of someone that's won premierships in a, what you call, 
a different sort of game plan. But really, should have had his chance in the big dance. Uh, well, he, uh, by his own words, said he didn't want to be. Yeah, he didn't yeah. want to. Yeah. No, he didn't want to. Yeah. So he didn't want it. He got no, approached. he didn't want it. But in principle, I'm I'm with you, Seedsko. I think that there like there's a difference between being an assistant coach and having coached your own team. And I think even though Matner's coached his own team at a lower level, I think that certainly requires skills that uh, an assistant coach at AFL level doesn't need. An assistant coach at AFL level just needs to be a people manager, Mac. Simple as that. Yeah, but I do that. But you know, while you might be right that he's going to be, he potentially could be a very good coach. I don't think anybody's ever going to take a, uh, an SAFL coach and make them an AFL coach directly. They they might have mm-hmm. them in there. They might have them in their uh, club as a an assistant coach for some time, and they build up a a very good uh, record. You know, like McRae did. But yeah, McRae. That's a good example. But um, he then went. He didn't, but he's not coaching Richmond. He did. He was a coach in Richmond Reserves, and then he got taken by another club. But um, so, what I all, I all I'm saying is, I'm not rubbishing Marty Matner. He's look, he's he's done outstandingly well. I'm just saying, I can't see that he will become a, an AFL coach. Not because he's no good, just because of the way they do things. Well, that's where our SA club should be recruiting from. Then, anyway, yeah. Thank anyway. you, C's girl. Oh. Farewell. Uh, you did well. Have a good evening. You did, you did well. All right. Some um, individual stats, Macker, I think, and we won't spend a huge amount of time on this because uh, we've kind of talked it pretty much to death, uh, but it shows you how misleading stats can be. If we look at uh, some of our main stats, when it was Geordie Dawson, 30 touches, 20 and 10, um, you know, seven marks, six tackles. Um, whilst he did have good numbers, seven marks, kicked one goal one, um, you know, um, eight contested possessions, 20 uncontested. To me, uh, in terms of when the whips were cracking, um, he, along with the rest of our midfield, were found a little bit wanting this week. I think they were, all of them. So twenty. The, the thing that worries me, oh God, this thing always goes nuts when I try to scroll it. The thing that worries me is twenty centre bounce attendances for zero centre clearances, Macca. Uh, I didn't realise you didn't have any clearances at all. Um, he had two stoppage clearances, no centre clearances. Yeah, well, look, he was definitely tagged. He was, he was very heavily tagged, um, but. I didn't realise you. Yeah, that's not too good. I don't think he was heavily tagged. I just don't think. I think he was beaten to the ball. Um. Oh no, well, okay. At at times he, yeah, no, at times he was tagged, and there, there. I thought he, he still had got the ball. Was it about thirty times? Is that right? Thirty touches, twenty and ten. Yeah, I mean, so. While, while we, we, we criticise him in certain areas, um, he still made a contribution. I mean, if, if every player had got 30 touches, well, we would have won the game. I, 
And somebody said he's trying to do too much. Well, I think that's true. I, I think he does try to do too much. I think he feels like he, it's on his shoulders to try and get this team over the line, and sometimes that can actually backfire on you. Well, I think that's a reasonable point, Macker. I think that there is a, a, a bit of that about him, and I think um, you know that's something that needs to be addressed because I'm not sure whether he feels like he's got great support around him and therefore I, I, I feel like he has a sense of responsibility. But um, if he's going to play midfield, then he has to contribute by moving the ball forward and zero centre clearances and only two round stoppage um, isn't really what he's there for. Um, he had uh, 10 uncontested possessions and 10, 10 contested possessions. Um, only eight score involvements. Or when I say only, that's not terrible. Eight score involvements. Um, oh, sorry, I'm looking at Ben Keys now. Sorry about that. I'll go back to Geordie. I thought that looked a bit wrong. Um, yeah, 20 uncontested possessions, five turnovers, four intercepts. Uh, only, that's makes sense now, only six score involvements. So out of those 30 touches, he was only involved in six scores, Mac. Yeah, I'm not surprised at that, though, because... Um, but you just said he still had an influence. Well, he did. I mean, the fact that he got the ball 30 times is some influence. I mean, uh, as opposed to he's a, a, an opponent getting it. I mean, there were, there were other players, if you look at... Uh, um, Saligo, I don't know what his stats were, but they were very small. No, we're looking, no, we're looking at Jordan Dawson, who's the captain of the club and our number one midfielder. Not I know, Jake, but you, you can't. How can you? How can you compare Jordan Dawson to Jake Saligo? Come on, mate. Come on. You're missing the, the simple missing fact. The, the simple thing, fact okay. is he got two clearances. Can I, can I finish the sentence I was trying to say about five yeah. minutes ago? Yeah. The fact that he at least got the ball 30 times, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, at least he did get it 30 times. And oh, my he, God. It's true. And no, no, there are players that just didn't get the ball very much at all. And that's the point I was trying to make. And, and yes, he's trying to do too much. And, uh, and, uh, and in my opinion, by trying to do too much, he's actually achieving uh, far less than he would be if he just didn't try to put it all onto his own shoulders. So, so you're applying the Matt Crouch defence? No, I'm not trying to trip. Yeah, well, I'm this is saying... exactly what you say about Matt Crouch, that, you know, he gets the ball a lot, so he has an influence. Well, no, he doesn't. Like, the fact that he got the ball so often and yet was so not involved in our scoring attempts says says what you need to know. He's not effective. Like, anyone can get the ball and kick it, but Brody Smith gets the ball and kicks it and then it comes right back over his head. Like stats, uh, like just because he gets thirty touches doesn't mean anything. Look at a guy like Luke Pedler who gets twelve kicks or twelve touches a game, and yet every time he's around the the ball, something happens. I've already conceded he wasn't one of his good games, but I don't think he was hopeless, mate. No, he wasn't, well, I didn't say hope. he was hope. I didn't say he was hopeless. Look, I'm not going to say anything because. I, because it's going to, I'm going to be wrong with whatever I say, however I put it. I'm going to be wrong. I am. I'm always wrong. Twenty six disposals for Brody Smith. Twenty one kicks. Five handballs. Four marks. 
Um, had five contested possessions, 13 uncontested possessions, four turnovers, four intercepts, uh, took four uncontested marks, 815 metres gained, although how many kickouts did he have? He had eight kick-ins, so that probably contributed a little bit to his metres gained. Um, no clearance stats whatsoever, no tackles at all, Brody Smith whatsoever, which kind of underpins what I was saying before about I saw him just not not go at 100% at a couple of contests. Um, so, yeah, I I wasn't particularly... Here's another one who had 26, what I would say, insignificant touches. Um, again, some of, them, some of them were okay. But uh, Smith has got a certain manner of, the, of, of playing which we've criticised consistently, which is bombing the ball. I think that's that's always going to be that's the way he plays, and uh, it's it doesn't it's not necessarily always good for the side either. But um, until we get rid of him, I think that's how it's going to be. Thing. Right, Ben Keys, twenty five disposals, adding kick seven handballs, three marks, ten tackles, two goals, two, um, ten contested, ten uncontested possessions, six turnovers. Um, eight score involvements. He had two marks inside 50, 389 metres gained, 24 centre bounce attendances for two centre and four stoppage clearances. Um, just not enough from someone like two centre clearances from 24 attempts is just not enough, um, particularly where, I mean, I understand that he was um, guarding Rao for a lot of it, but uh, if we had a look at Matty Rowe's clearance numbers, you would see that uh, Benny Keyes didn't really negate him at all. Um, you know, as always, his effort stats are really good, 10 tackles, etc., etc. Um, you know, but, and, you know, he's such an enigma, Mako. He tries so hard, uh, as you mentioned continuously, his effort is off the charts. But, you know, at, at what point does the negative outweigh the positive, I guess. Um, well, as Nonny Nonny Crow said, the, uh, Keyes overall had a positive impact on the game. He just shouldn't be in the middle because the, the, not, he's not that type of midfielder that, that dominates. Um, I, what I like about Keyes is his effort. And I know that he's, he's not polished, he's not skilled, and, but the one thing I can, you can count on Keyes, he'll be running as hard in the fourth quarter as he was running in the first, second and third, whereas some of the other blokes by then have just given up and just allowing opponents to run wildly everywhere. So, what I, and, and he's not a slow player. He's got pace. He's a horrible kick. Uh, he's a good tackler. Um, he's, I, thought he, I thought if you look at the overall contribution to the game, because if you went through and looked through our, our whole list of 22, 23 players and just saw and rated their contributions to the game, no matter how bad we played overall, I thought he was would have been high up in those that rated in terms of giving something to the team. Uh, Rory Laird had 22 disposals, 11 kicks, 11 handballs, three marks, five tackles. Um, he had 14 contested possessions, eight uncontested, turned it over three times, 
uh, only four score involvements. Um, again, uh, 15 pressure acts, 26 centre pounce attendances for two centre clearances. So, again, it, like these stats just highlight how much we got torched in centre um, and only two stoppage clearances, which is where sometimes Rory can get to work. So, um, you'll find it. He's led, led is very heavily strapped underneath that with Guernsey. He, he, yeah, no, I know, I know that. I'm just reading out his stats. Um, so he didn't have an influence uh, where his um, number one KPI is, which is at clearance. Um, and well, if he wasn't physically capable of having that influence, he shouldn't have been picked. That's possibly true because he's one of his greatest KPI is his number of tackles made and his number of tackles were way, way down on his normal output. And that's because of his uh, body at the moment. But he, he, he's being played, I think, when he's only about half fit because he's, um, he's very sore around the body. No, that's stupid. Wayne Miller um, did some really nice evasive work, which uh, it's nice to see him getting back to doing that sort of stuff, but he only had nine kicks and 11 handballs, and it's interesting when we get Brody Smith back in the side, Wayne Miller's output diminishes, and this is, I think, Macca, where I'm talking about whether Brody Smith needs to be in this team because we get a lot more value from Wayne Miller's disposal and he gets a lot more of it when Brody Smith isn't in the side. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's my comment, Bye. I guess. Well, I, I thought Miller's game was very good in terms of in relativity to the rest of the team because um, some of his dancing in between and out of players is just phenomenal, really. And, and his usage of the ball was exceptionally good. So I don't know what his efficiency rating was, but I would have thought it would be pretty high. Um, in terms of his... Uh, well, Smith has virtually run his race, and uh, it's just a question of how long will he be there. Yeah, but I, th- I think the point that I'm making is that it was interesting last week when we didn't have Smith um, against Brisbane. Miller was a key um, a key element across halfback, and this week with Smith uh, back on deck, um, Miller's output was diluted. So we're kind of getting uh, poor quality output from Brody Smith, even though he gets a lot of it. And we're getting less of Wayne Miller, who usually, I mean, he used the ball at 95% this week, which is ridiculous in those conditions. Yeah, if I remember right, didn't Jones play in that role uh, last week? Sorry? When when Smith was out, didn't, didn't Jones play in, in his role? I'm talking about Miller's output last week, Macca. Yeah, I'm talking about in that particular game, the other flanker, Smith wasn't in that game. And I'm saying, was it Jones? And Jones is, plays a, a pretty direct type of game rather than uh, Smith who just bombs it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying, did he did he work better with Jones than he did with Smith? That's the point I'm I don't think it, I don't think it makes any difference. I think what happens is that Miller gets involved more when Smith isn't there. Speaking well, of Jones, he... uh, Jones had 17 disposals, 11 kicks, 6 handballs, took a mark, one, uh, 3 tackles. Also went at good disposal efficiency, 88%. Um, he had 9 contested and 5 uncontested possessions, 4 turnovers. 
Um, what else did he do? 502 metres gained. Um, he's nice and direct, as you say, Macca, with his work. He got three um, stoppage clearances as well. So maybe it's time that Trace actually had a couple of CBAs as well just to mix things up. Um, only three great. tackles. Uh, I thought he could have uh, got involved more physically. Uh, nine rebound 50. So I thought, you know, you know, it wasn't a bad game from Chase. Um, um, probably didn't benefit from the reconfiguration uh, down back. I thought he had a good, good game, though. I thought um, he... he uh, he really believes in himself now. There's no doubt about it. He believes in himself. And uh, he goes in hard for the ball. He tackles hard. And he, uh, he does try and he, got, he does try and clear at pace. And he's got, he's got uh, very good foot skills. So I, th- I think he's going to develop into not the player that we thought he was going to be, but he's going to develop into a much better player than we originally, uh, once we'd seen him, thought he was going to be. Yeah, Rory Sloan, 17 disposals, 13 kicks, 4 handballs, 2 marks, 4 tackles. Uh, one at 71% disposal efficiency, 6 contested, 9 uncontested possession. Turn it over 7 times, Rory. Only had 4 score involvements. Um, and the biggest thing here, 13 centre bounce attendances uh, for only 2 clearances. So again, quite ineffective um, although yeah. he wasn't too bad around stoppage for stoppage clearances, only the four tackles. Um, you know, I just thought yeah. I just thought um, we played we ran him through the middle too much, Rory. I agree totally. Uh, Mitch Hinge looked lost. Uh, Lockie Murphy uh, got back into the old habit of flying for marks, which I didn't like at all. Uh, we've talked about Darcy and Tex maybe being a little bit lazy. Uh, Lockie Shoal, uh, a lot of people having a real big crack about Lockie Shoal. I didn't actually think his game was too bad considering the conditions didn't suit him. Um, but a lot of, I don't know what your thoughts on Lockie Shoal were, Mac. Didn't do nothing majorly wrong, but he didn't do nothing majorly right. He sort of, uh, uh, I thought, he, he got a few possessions, uh, but I, I Oh, it was a bit of a nothing game, really. Yeah, well, I mean, he got a, he did get a lot of possessions, and I I can't understand the, the the amount of negativity about his work because, you know, we had a lot of uncontested ball on the outside, and I didn't really. I mean, if we have a look at his stats, he had fifteen kicks, eight handballs. Um, you know, went at sixty seven percent, three score involvements. I mean, he only only 172 metres gained. I think that's probably the area where uh, that's really indicative of where our game plan fell down, Macca, because for a, for an outside player like Scholl, he should have had 500 metres gained. And I think we were, we were trying to play that cute sort of hit-up, you know, sort of stuff, whereas really when we got it to 60, we should have been trying to get it deep and locking it in. Um, that, but we were probably overusing it, and maybe that's indicative of Scholl's stat there, the metres gain stat. Yeah, that's what I was really getting at, that he didn't have an impact, real impact on the game in the sense that, uh, he, he, as you said, he did get a reasonable amount of the ball, but you can't think of anything that emanated from from those possessions that he got. Yeah. 
Of the rest, uh, Rankin was sort of sketchy, uh, didn't have as much influence as usual, I didn't think. Um, Thilthorpe, you know, took a couple of nice marks but really didn't have any impact. Luke Pedler, again, a, you know, a 10 disposal match that just makes you think, wow, if he could double that, he would absolutely slaughter a game. Every disposal that he gets, every time he gets near the ball, it seems to be effective in some way or another, make something happen. Um, I was going to say, for a guy that doesn't get a lot of possessions, all the commentators, even every game that he plays, they can pick it out that this is going to be one very good play down the track. Mm-hmm. Max Michelini uh, did quite well. Uh, Riley O'Brien, we've talked about. It'll be interesting to see oh. where they give uh, Kieran Strawn a run against West Coast, uh, just to give O'Brien a bit of a touch up. Um, yeah, and the rest of it, you know, Tex had two goals, but was pretty ineffective apart from that. Murray and Butts, I thought, battled hard, and Saligo went missing. Yeah. All right, so we've got West Coast next week um, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, that should be one that we can put in the win column. But uh, they showed against Collingwood that they've got a little bit of something going on and Tim Kelly uh, is no slouch. And when he's got one or two mates, um, you know, like uh, a gaff or a yeo last week for periods of, of the game, you know, they can they can hurt you a bit and... Um, the lad up forward for them is just a champion um, in the making. Um, so, you know, we're going to have to play at our at our full potential um, to win the game. Yeah, it, it, on paper you'd say, yeah, they're no good. They've only won one game or whatever it is. I think it's only one game, isn't it? Um, and yeah, this, is, this should be a lay down there. But, um, yeah, we, we lost after the... Uh, when we played uh, GWS in uh, similar sort of heat, we we lost to Richmond in the dying stages in uh, the following game after that. And um, now West Coast are out in Richmond, but they did put up two very good quarters against Port, so they're not completely hopeless. And so we would have to, you know, I hopefully uh, we have the lightest of lightest of weeks, and our boys are hoping to get freshened up and. If we can get our game going, and, and um, it really should be, if we can get our, our game going at its best, it could be a percentage game. Um, but if we played like we did in the second, well, the last two and a half quarters on Sunday, Saturday, we'll go down. We could possibly get beaten. So, except we're so bad. So you know, um, I think we'll win, and I think we should. But I don't think we'll give them a trouncing. I think if we win, we'll win by about five, six goals. Okay, I, I think we'll end up winning by 10 plus. Um, I'm looking for a bounce back. The only query for mine is how we go uh, fitness-wise. So, uh, you know, I'm with you. Hopefully Burgess manages that appropriately and they've learnt from the recovery from GWS or lack thereof. Um, we'll be at home. West Coast have been struggling. They did show a bit against Collingwood, like we said, but, you know, uh, it would be uh, a bit diabolical if we were to drop this one. And I think if you'd have said to everyone on this podcast and everyone listening and, you know, most Crows fans, if we could have got to the bye, if we at the beginning of the year said we were going to get to the bye at 7-6, you'd take that? You would take it, yeah, every day of the week. So, um, and... Then you've got a week's rest, 
and hopefully the you know they sort out the team in a, and possibly um, a couple of changes and get get it probably what it should be. Um, who knows what can happen in the second half? But I'm like you, Fiend. I'm not interested in necessarily getting into the eight. I'm interested in seeing this team improve all the time. Well, time will tell. And uh, speaking of time, our time's up at uh, two hours and ten minutes, Macca. So thanks to everyone who's joined us tonight on YouTube and also on Discord. Uh, don't forget, if you want to be part of our our Discord channel, the links are in all our socials. Um, there's good chat about the Crows every day and night during the week, and we also have our game day chat, and then, of course, the live chat during our podcasts on Sunday nights. Um, if you've been watching us on YouTube and you haven't yet, please subscribe and give us a like. It helps us uh, on that platform, and uh, we appreciate all the support and listenership that we've had during the year. Macker, I noticed before that we... Uh, we got over eleven hundred. Um, we got over eleven hundred um, chat messages tonight, Macca, which is just amazing. The amount of uh, participation and interaction that we have from our um, our live chatters and our our YouTube chatters is just amazing, and it really makes this podcast stand out um, with a point of difference. So, thanks to everyone who uh, enjoys watching us on a Sunday night. All right, Mac. That well, is, that's about all that, we've got. And that is it. That is pretty much it. Um, we've got one more before the buy, and we will be taking a, buy, a break during the buy. So one more um, next weekend. Uh, hopefully we'll see you all then. In the meantime, take care, stay safe, and we'll see you then. Night, everyone. Have a, have a good week, folks. See you.